Hey guys, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie. And I'm Damien Pizzanti. That's right. She's back. I'm back. I'm back for Three now. episode hiatus as she has returned. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure listeners' ears are smiling right now. If ears can guess, even smile. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, um, a conference in Colorado, and then I went on vacation, and then some jerk hit me with his car and totaled my car and so i had to take a couple of days off of work to deal with that life so gets in the way life gets in the way yeah. and now i don't have a car so, so if you're listening and you saw a gold acura on 20th and c or 20th 22nd mm-hmm. i don't even remember because i had a head injury <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, you, you see one. if you saw my blood in the street <laughs> yeah. or if you see a beat up Acura rolling around town right now or limping through your neighborhood, give us a call. Call me. <laughs> Tell <know>. me. <laughs> Screw that They're guy. Not finding him. So yeah. anyway. Um that aside. So we're not really doing politics this week. We no. since there is a there's a massive fire. Yeah. In... I mean we had plans to bring you a show about all kinds of great political juice happening around the county right now, but we decided not to because the gorge is burning. Yeah, so let's be real. Who cares about politics? The gorge is burning. Yeah. So, totally. Um, so last we heard uh What's the what's the latest acreage count oh, on the Washington side? So the Washington, I think we, well, uh, estimates vary depending on who you talk to. Depending if you're talking to resource, DNR or yeah. if you're talking to Skamania County sheriffs, but it's something like I think I heard last I heard it was about 120 acres, okay. give or take. Yeah. And but you know it's in steep, rugged terrain, far away from anything. Right. So it's hard to get a grasp. Houses. Yeah. So um, there's there's like half a block, as I understand, that's like under. I think there are even voluntary evacuation oh, okay. orders at this on point. the Washington side. Yeah. Okay. Totally. But you know, the, part of the problem is, is everything we say right now is going to change as soon as this. Hits as soon, yeah. As soon ears. as you listen to this, as soon as it spends two weeks, is it's going to be different. So yeah. Um, so forgive us for being a day late yesterday, but it's been kind of all hands on deck around the newsroom for this this madness. Yep. So anyway, we're just going to talk a little bit about fire in general with breaking cops. breaking news, cops, and former firefighter um, Andy Matarisi. Yeah, Andy Matarisi, our night cops reporter, uh, spent several summers as a wildland firefighter uh, to help uh, help pay his way through school. So, um, mm-hmm. so he has some interesting insight on how fire works so and what it looks like out there to be on the line in right. wilderness country so also this will be our first week our solo flight without ashley swanson yeah did you talk about that during the last show we did a little bit okay yeah, yeah ashley left to yeah. pursue different things yeah she's just moving on to a different career vein so man i wish her lots of good luck um, so bear with us. We'll, we're going to tell you guys some great stuff to do, but it might not have the punch and savvy that Ashley had because she was a six-year veteran of knowing everything that was going on around here. But still, we'll have some good suggestions. Yeah, we'll try. We'll do our best. Yeah. Okay. And let's. we'll hear from Andy. Uh, so Andy Matarisi, uh, who covers our intrepid cops reporter, night cops reporter, who often covers fire, uh, used to be a firefighter. This is true. <laughs> so, so tell us about that. When were you, and what did you do exactly? Um, I fought wildfires for three seasons with the United States Forest Service starting in 2010. I did 2011 and 2012. I did that to pay for, uh, did that to work in between you know, bouts of school. Um, Bouts of school. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, worked on the Otrico National Forest, which is uh, west of 
well, it's east of Bend and then further east of Prineville. I say Bend because you might know that one better. Uh, yeah, um, I worked on an engine mostly. Uh, it's called a small. It's called a Type Six engine. They're the smaller. You might see city fire departments have them. The small, like Ford F, you know, three or four fifties or whatever, with a small tank and a couple hoses on the side. So, do you feel like, uh, given that you were on a fire crew for so long and like actually saw these blazes firsthand, do you feel like it gives you like a unique advantage when you're reporting on them? That's what I tell my editors. Yes. <laughs> 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 do you believe it deep down in your heart? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, firefighting, like uh, the job, is not especially complicated, but it's not necessarily intuitive. Um, sometimes it's hard to grasp what's going on, I guess. Like, the way I describe it is uh, uh, I had an engine captain. His dad was like a city guy. And... Uh, he never really understood. It's like he never really understood the whole idea of like, wait, you dig to fight the fire? I don't understand. And that's mm-hmm. that's uh, that that happens a lot. When you go back east, it happens a whole lot. Oh, really? So, well, so for those who don't understand what you mean by having to dig to fight the fire here, are you referring to like digging a fire line to like stop the fire where it's going? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it it is. It does seem like a pretty unique job because I mean, it's like you're out there half lumberjack, half ditch digger, and then half fi- like firefighter all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I realize that adds up to one and a half. And all hero. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you ever save anybody's life or house or animal? I mean, the joke we always tell is that you know we're saving homes and protecting babies. <laughs> but um. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, if there's a situation where, if there's a situation where someone is in danger, something, a lot of things have gone terribly wrong, and you want to avoid those in general. Like, that's not what you're there for. You're, you're not there to pull people yeah. out of houses. No, like, you're a large scale gardener. <laughs> large scale gardener. Yeah. Um. So, what is? I know you haven't been like a city firefighter, but what is um different from being a city firefighter? You know, putting out guy left his stove on and the pizza box caught on fire versus being out in the woods what are uh, some of the differences in well like most city strategy? firefighters most structure firefighters they're either you know volunteers or they're professionals and uh, a lot of them are trained to fight wildfire but that's not their main job again wildfire is not super complicated they can add that in all the other stuff they have to do but usually structure firefighters there a lot of them a lot of them are paramedics if not emts um, that's mm. why you see them in every car crash, at every you know, um, every fall, every sick person call. Like firefighters send to, they send the engine a lot because they can they can help if they get there first. Um, if they do actually fight a house fire, it's a whole lot different than what I would do, what I would have done because they're a lot more dangerous. There's a lot more scary things they could catch on fire. House fires, you mean? Yeah, a yeah. house fire. Yeah, and um, the tactics are way different. The equipment is way different. Like if. You can't you can't fight a house fire with a shovel, <laughs> but you can't fight a forest fire with one. A mm-hmm. uh, house fire, I mean, they'll have their their engine, they'll have a ton of guys, they have their self-contained breathing apparatuses if they have to go inside the building to bring water there or to cut away at walls or whatnot. Yeah, because I mean, you don't need half of that equipment no, for wildland no. firefighting, right? Most of the time, you never have, most of the time you don't have water. Oh, but, yeah, structured firefighters pretty much. I mean, there's fire hydrants. They try to put them everywhere they can. 
Yeah. And uh, that's that's why it's a whole lot. Yeah, you can't. It's a whole. It's really hard to fight a structure fire without uh, without water. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> um, so talk about you've made some sort of interesting. Uh, kind of comments on this fire and you know some maybe a little bit more listener appropriate than others but i mean what you know there's there's so much sort of mourning happening in light of you know this is one of the most beautiful places on earth that's currently on fire um i mean talk a little bit about the role that a fire plays in in a forest and okay uh my fire ecology kung fu is not that strong but like the basic the basic thing you learn and the strength like sort of uh, drilled into you is that um, the way it works that after 1910 there was these huge massive wildfires in the United States that you know destroyed uh, I think a handful of, of towns and killed a bunch of people and it was really bad burned bazillions of acres it was a really bad deal so what happened is 1910 uh, the Yakult Mountain Fire was right around then right uh, yeah it was around that time the the big burn I don't think was 1910 but one of the fires in the Yakult area was 19 the big Yakult burn I don't think was 1910 maybe it was whatever but <laughs> i'm pretty sure it was 1910 but the thing is is like there wasn't just one oh 1902 yeah, the huge one up there i think was 1902 there was yeah. probably another fire there was a there. series of other burns that happened around that yeah. same time but across the west this was a major thing that happened mm-hmm. and so that's when the u.s government basically declared a war on fire yeah. right yeah so what happened is a lot of the forest out there is so so overgrown and uh, just thick that when a fire does happen that it sort of reacts and burns like crazy um i don't know the specific um i guess conditions of you know the the gorge and what kind of what uh you know fuels uh, fuels that sort of like prescribed fire or um fire ecology experts might say the the state was in the columbia river gorge but when i see a fire this huge i wonder it's like oh maybe it was it probably is seeing that kind of it's a symptom of that it hasn't burned in forever all forests are adapted in some way to have some some regime some regular occurrence of wildfire so i mean what what did how does the government stop that from happening i don't understand stop what stop fire from happening like what do you mean more on fire so yeah i can actually speak to this a little bit because i've covered this a while uh so he literally a war on fire that anytime the anytime there was a wildfire that would break out they would send as many resources as possible to stomp it out as quickly mm-hmm. as they could okay. and you know in, because they were afraid of having more of these big blow-ups um and in essence like low intensity frequent fire is something you hear forest ecologists talk about a lot because basically what that means yeah it'll burn towards the surface of the ground it'll burn out a lot of the underbrush and burn out a lot of the young saplings it'll scar the older trees that are there but it won't kill them and then it sort of cleans things out some trees uh, like ponderosa pines actually rely on and have evolved with fire as a regular part of their lifespans they have super super thick bark Mm. and their um their pine cones actually depend on fire to heat them up enough so they'll actually pop open to release the seeds the thing is though is just like Andy said, fire is forests are dependent on some type of fire coming in at one point in their life stage or another. The low intensity frequent fire I just described is more common in more arid and higher elevation areas like in the Rocky Mountains or on the east side of the rain shadow of the Cascade or the rain shadow of the Cascades, which is on the east side. Um, and in an area like that, you'll have the fire cycle is like 
every one to 200 years, for example, in a drier condition. And that basically means like these trees aren't expected to live more than a couple centuries because a fire is going to come through and just burn them all down. That's just big fires. While, while regular small fires happen, very big fires are also a part of just the, the woods. That's just part of the existence. Uh, what's unique about the west side of the Cascades is because it's so wet here, big fires don't often happen. They happen more in a once, like every 500 years timeline. Mm. And what I think is years ago, what an ecologist in Montana told me is that right now we're at like the top of the cycle where all of these, not only we've we been suppressing fires for like a century, but we were also at that phase where it's like the time is up basically for these big, this big fire cycle to start again. Mm. So it's not all that unusual for these things to be happening. Not to say that they're good because they're not. Uh, what I want to find out, what I plan on asking later is so, like I said, east side of the Cascades, one to every two, 100 every 200 years fire cycle. The west side, more like every 500 or I think even 800. But this part of the gorge is like right on the line between the east side and the west side. Mm. This is such a unique landscape. Mm. There's like more than a dozen different ecosystems in there. So what does that mean? Like, I'm dying to know what the ecology for that specific spot is where this fire is burning. Yeah, one of the tough things for all of that is I mean, it's, I don't know if subjective is the right word, but it, it's very difficult to know what a appropriate fire regime is supposed to look like because the Native Americans would burn, many tribes would burn forest. Mm -hmm. So to say, to find some virgin forest out there that has never been cut, has never been burned, has never been touched is virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. So all the time is kind of, a lot of times it's a bit of a guess, like they think forest xyz is supposed to burn like this this looks good so yeah it's hard and of course nature didn't evolve with allegedly punk teenagers no those are a newer <laughs> those are a recent development yeah, and the, yeah and the uh, in the and the evolution of forest that's a that's a new piece yeah for sure mm -hmm. interesting can we talk a little bit before we part ways? Let's talk a little bit about the fires that are going on out there. Because, I mean, I think the Eagle Creek fire is the one that everybody's really paying attention to. But there's like three others burning on the Washington side alone right now, right? Yeah, there's the uh, Archer Mountain fire. It's like, last I heard, it was, what, 70-something acres? Yeah, I think I heard 75 this yeah, morning. About a tenth of a square mile. Um, there's a fire in the Indian Heaven Wilderness, which I don't know what the deal with that is, but they're probably going to leave it pretty well alone because it's in a wilderness and uh the bear creek fire i think it's on mount adams i want to say yeah that's i think that's right yeah it's no bear, bear creek is in carson carson Car three okay, miles yeah. north or some three miles outside of carson yeah it's, it's near carson so also on the gifford pinchot national forest that one i think was a thousand acres last i heard uh-huh and that one's in the Carson, Carson's watershed, right? Like they, I do not they, know. <laughs> yeah, they rely on Bear Creek for their water. Oh man! <laughs> and so they're being particularly aggressive towards that one. But yeah, I mean, to your point, with the the Indian Haven, because it's in the wilderness, like motorized uses aren't allowed in a wilderness area, right? So it's not like they can be driving tinder trucks up there to go stomp this thing out. Typically, yeah, but sometimes they might bend the rule i've seen the rules get bent if there's a fire that they're especially concerned about for whatever sure. reason i mean this one's kind of in the middle of nowhere it's not that big and so yeah i mean the the idea for that would be to let it 
let it run its course yeah let it do its thing um it's crazy stuff so have you heard anything any gotten any like first-hand accounts from um like any type of fire officials about what they're thinking or feeling with these these blazes i haven't spoken to anybody since yesterday but i remember just it was very tough for anybody to assess the situation on the uh, archer mountain fire which is the one that sort of we're paying more attention to because it's on our side of the river Mm -hmm. it was just so nasty out they were basically guessing at the size of the fire Mm -hmm. i couldn't get a sense of where the front of it was like where what direction it was burning Uh uh-huh it's like they can't even see it right now right because the the smoke is just so thick it was nuts yeah man it's like apocalyptic out there right (laughs) now huh well um god i don't even know what else we should talk about it's just such is this would be such an incredibly seems like such an incredibly difficult landscape to fight on because like you're you're fighting a fire on cliffs and then how the hell are you supposed to get and then on top of the uh on on the top of the gorge itself it's like there's a lot of road access to Mm -hmm. a lot of these spots so it's how do you get around and ahead of this thing yeah i mean i fought fire on the east side and i was uh you know an engine slug i wasn't one of those savage crew people you but, weren't hoofing it you oh were riding it such uh, so you're man you're <laughs> so, so, bar- so barbaric you're so elitist but, with your uh, fire crews yeah <laughs> so uh, i was on an engine and where i was on the, the forest i worked on was cool because we could practically drive everywhere we would do something called mobile attack where i'd walk alongside of the engine with a hose spraying the fire which was super dope mm. <laughs> other times it's just i mean what they're doing now what uh, all through the willamette national forest probably the mount hood up through the gift of Pinchot, it's probably all crew country so they're walking just about everywhere wow yeah that's rugged work mm-hmm. that's rugged work um well man good luck to those guys and uh let's hope they get it put out soon because this really sucks on a high note they were able to save the lodge out at Multnomah falls so Yay. that's nice hooray yeah all right thanks andy you bet all right, so it is a pretty busy weekend, actually, for you guys. So a uh, couple of highlights. On Friday, the Shorty's Harvest Celebration from 6 to 11 p.m. That's at Shorty's at on uh, 1006 Southeast Mill Plain. It's about $20 to $25, ages 21 and older, includes a, includes a drink. Uh, it's a fun-filled kickoff and fall celebration music and hot dogs and beer on tap so and God, then what's not to love i know it's on plants shorties is great i love shorties i've never been really no shorties what is, is shorties? fantastic it's For a nursery only... it's a nursery oh, it's probably nursery. tell people that yeah it's a, the nurse the fantastic nursery they've so, got one wait, in they're Ridgefield having beer and, and hot dogs yeah they do a beer fest a they do a uh so they do a celebration on friday and then on saturday from noon to 10 they do an autumn brew fest 20 dollars admission includes signature or souvenir beer glass and tokens so and uh more food and more beer and interesting yeah they're that's, awesome that's pretty wild Huh. And then also on Friday night, there's Contra in the Couve, 7.30 to 11 p.m. with dance instruction at 7.30. Uh, so if you want to go and get your Contra on, uh, that's at the Hazeldale Grange at 7509 Northeast Hazeldale Avenue. It's only 7 bucks or 5 if you are 65 and older or 12 and younger. So huh. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's a good deal. Good date night. So deal. something for maybe a generation before us, uh, all you parents out there, I think will be stoked for this, that... Foreigners-
Turner and Cheap Trick are coming to the Sunlight yes. Amphitheater this Friday as well. I mean, tickets are like 30 bucks, well, 30 bucks to 100 bucks, but um, it starts at 7 o'clock. And I mean, it's Foreigner and Cheap Trick. What more do I need to say? Nothing. Get your hairspray and your acid wash jeans and go have a good time. And then on Saturday, uh, the Columbia Flyway Wildlife Show runs from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Water Center, uh, the Water Resources Education Center on Columbia Way. Uh, afternoon at the Wood Carving Show and take part in various bird-related activities. Whoa. Kids can paint little wooden birds and learn about different types of birds. So, wow. yeah, if you're if you're craving some outdoor time and maybe mm-hmm. we're planning to go to the go to the gorge and not so much anymore. Surely, birding enthusiasts will want to flocked to that amazing event i hate you so god that was much. an awesome pun i hate you so much i'm sorry i'm sorry also that day if you're more of a dog person than a bird person there's the strut your mutt humane society fundraiser from 8 a.m to noon join the west columbia mm. gorge humane society's team during the strut your mutt portland fundraising walk mm. uh and so that money raised at that will go to the uh go to that no kill shelter over there uh, so that's nothing to sit and roll over about i mean you definitely gonna want to go i hate it. you <laughs> leave (laughs) you're a garbage person (laughs) that's at selwood riverfront park southeast oaks parkway in portland it's a 15 dollars registration fee or ten dollars for youth uh, and that includes Mm. a t-shirt you can Mm. bring your doggo so sounds great yep so what about this whole fort vancouver national historic site reenactments um going back to the days when the brits and the americans were were duking it out over this nice piece of territory maybe not quite duking it out that's an I overstatement that's but they were at odds the history of this they were at odds they were is. they were sort of frenemies at the time so uh that runs from 4 to 10 p.m uh visitors can stroll back through the eras at the fort vancouver national historic site by campfires and candlelight yeah. so it's a living history a, event so you get to see people living as they did back in the day with their muskets and then they're living in tents and cooking over a fire pit and wearing old-timey clothes yeah this is history buffs yeah this is a pretty uh pretty consistent i mean this they do this every year and i think it's a pretty consistently popular event so right i mean i have to say like credit where credit is due to these guys like they very they know their stuff very well yeah oh yeah um i uh, one of my good friends is like a huge history nerd and he loves to go to these things just to try to stump people and he was not able to do it with anybody he spoke with. Good. Yeah. That sounds like a really jerky hobby. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, and but it's if, free. If that's not, yeah, and that's free. If that's not quite your scene, though, uh, there is the Storm City Roller Girls doubleheader down in uh, or up at the fairgrounds on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it runs from 5 to 9 p.m. They're going to compete against the Emerald City, uh, the Eugene team, and then the Bridgetown Brawlers from Portland. The first bout begins at 5.15, the second bout at seven and doors open at four that's at the event center it's fifteen dollars free for your little ones and six dollars for parking mm. roller derby is rad roller derby is amazing i've always wanted to do roller derby. why don't you do it because i you could do it well it you could be, be a great blocker it would be a mess i don't know what that means i'm not sure what that means so there's what you're implying so there's different there's different positions like you know the whole scoring of yeah roller derby right? right so the blocker if i remember correctly that's the person that tries to like obstruct the person from making a loop around mm. like you kind of like hang back and like don't let any like you shall not pass type of person okay if you uh if you guys are looking for something a little bit later in the week on wednesday uh science on tap is going to return to the kiggins with the new ad- adolescent sexuality it starts at 7 p.m uh it's a nine to ten dollar suggested 
cover. L. Chris Gowen, Gowen, author of Sexual Decisions, The Ultimate Teen Teen Guide, will talk about what's new in teen sexuality, from lowering teen pregnancy rates to what information is and is not being covered in schools. Uh, That sounds really cool, actually. Especially if you got teens or people that are soon to be teens. Right, right. I think, like, man this talk about an awkward time in life anyways and then add like all the growing up with technology into that mix yeah good lord well and what's i don't amazing, get the kids today right and what's amazing you know in talking to uh uh in talking to ki- teenagers who maybe don't identify as as you know whatever gender they were identified as birth um it's the access to the internet i think has made um teen sexuality a much more navigable but also kind of scary place for a lot of a lot of kids these days so i'll be i'll be curious to see if if and what this gal has to say about that so if at any point between now and october 31st um with all this with all these forest fires going on around us you want to learn a little bit more about the largest what was the largest forest fire in the u.s until relatively recent um Go check out the 1902 Yakult Burn exhibit that's happening in Battleground. It's happening at the Battleground Community Library, um, and it's gonna go. It goes from 10 a.m. to 6 o'clock. You know, regular library hours every day. It's free to go check out. But yeah, if you guys didn't know, that burn was more than like 300,000 acres. It's huge. So yeah, and it started the same way that the latest, well, very similar to the way the latest fire out in the gorge did. Uh, Teenage boys setting fires out in Eagle Creek, except back then they were trying to burn out a hornet's nest rather than light off fireworks. Allegedly. Allegedly. Anyway. Cool. Sounds like a full week. Yeah. So take our advice. Go do some fun stuff and be a part of your community, huh? All right, that's our show. Ta-da. So we are taking, uh, if you have stories, uh, and and to be fair, uh, some tweets and videos from the different law enforcement agencies, different fire officials uh, that are working on the Oregon side of things, it's still green out in the gorge. There is still a healthy dose of green out yeah, there. Yeah, I the mean. Gorge is not, it's not Mordor. It is not a wasteland. No, this is, this is a roughly 80-mile long canyon. And three, well, 33,000 acres of of it. As of time of recording. Are burning. That's true. But there's many more acres out there that we will still get to love and enjoy. It's just the sad part is, is several places that we used to really like took a hit. Yeah. Um, but if you would like to share your gorge stories, we are taking them. You can email photos and you know little bits of your story to metrodesk at columbian.com. Mm-hmm. Again, that's metrodesk, all one word, at columbian.com. And we will be putting those together um, yep. in sort of a tribute to the gorge. So yep. If your heart hurts and you want to share, man, we are listening with big open ears. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere that you subscribe your podcast to your podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc., um, Stitcher. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with Damien or I, you know where to find us. You can also email us at podcast at Columbian.com. See you in a couple weeks. Thanks.